Hi, Stephanie. If you listen to the Dave Chen and Joanna Robinson podcast, Cast to Kings, then you know the pleasures of a recap show with a host who's an expert on both the books and the show. That's where I come in. I'm Stephanie, major star in my work in research, publishing, and activism. Recently, I earned me the nomination as the second only transgender nominee for 40 Under 40 from University of Georgia. With that attention comes its own kind of power, and with great power comes yada, yada, yada. So for the foreseeable future, I'm going to be using my unique insight into the book and Amazon studio show, The Power, to offer a recap series like no other. Episode 4 is called The Day of the Girls. It is directed by Shannon Murphy and Lisa Gunnan. It is written by Sarah Quintrell. The world's governments are shocked. Shocked, I tell you. Now that Marcos let the electric cat out of the bag, the power is real. It has a scientific explanation, and it isn't going away. Episode 4 gives brief glimpses of events happening inside the United States, but the focus moves to Tunde, Ali, and Roxy. While you wait for the show to return to Margo, Jocelyn, and Kat, just remember that everything you see in this episode is also happening in America. As women yet to be revealed men and gender nonconforming people awaken their skeins and thus their power, the people who have only ever known privilege now feel as though these steps toward equality aren't just oppression. They're an act of war. But the tides are shifting. Suppression leads to revolution. Revolution leads to liberation. It's only a matter of time before the gender paradigm swings a new direction. And woe to anything standing in its way. Now Tunde enters Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia has just banned any use of power. The country doesn't allow journalists anymore, but Tunde sneaks in on a student visa by saying he's just traveling for a tech conference. He nearly outs himself to a taxi driver by asking too many questions, but Tunde knows how to explain his interest. Tunde says, have you seen it? And the taxi driver says, no, and I don't want to. They banned it here. It's not a problem for us. And it's only girls anyway. <laughs> it's not only girls. <laughs> the driver slowly takes Tunde into a place he's never been. Will Tunde see what the taxi driver described? Have all traces of skeins and power been erased or restrained? We'll have to look closely. Very closely. But if we do, ah, there it is. The camera slowly pans into a brief flicker between trash cans. A passage of electricity from one hand to the other. It's a small child. If you couldn't tell from the bolts of lightning, you could definitely tell from the wonder in their eyes. Her name is Zamal. And after a lifetime of oppression, she's just found her power. Now we get to Sister Maria back at the Sisters of Christ convent from a distance. Sister Maria watches the girls as they focus on a televised explanation for how the power works, where it comes from, how to control it, what makes it real. This animation sequence was made just for the show, and it's 100% worth going into the bonus features and watching in full. It is amazing. So as shown with that animated clip and more, if you're watching television, you're here and I'm about skeins. In the wake of Margot telling the world that the power is real, news programs now discuss it every moment of the hour. So we're with Allie, and Allie tends to tours outside with a bunch of other people taking refuge and asylum at the Sisters of Christ Convent. These youngsters remind me of the teens from Sister Act 2, a movie I believe is a prequel to this star-studded series. With Sister Act 3 officially on the way, we can look forward to the crossover we deserve. Well, we finally discover Allie's biological parent. Is there any hope at Sister Mary Clarence? Like the teens in Sister Act 2, this new batch of kids at the Sisters of Christ Convent search for their place in the holy order, free from nuns bound by patriarchy and tradition. One of those girls is named Savannah, played by Emily Renee, who reminds Allie to uh, 
One, watch for Veronica, and two, could you go feed the chickens? Once alone, the voice uses the silence to speak to Allie. The voice says, you can use your power in a way no one else can. Allie doesn't necessarily have a skein that's any better or stronger than anyone else's. Certainly no one's as stronger than Roxy's, but she's got creativity, ambition, and a seemingly omnipotent voice guiding her to new methods of use for this strange ability. Case in point are their chickens she's tasked with tending. The voice says, dial it back, baby. Remember the eels, they use their electricity to hijack their prey's mind. Connect. Try to make it walk. Walk? On water? Have a boy don't walk on water. Unless you've got power. If you guys will ever see Back to the Future Part 2. I'll be here all week, folks. Back to the show. The voice is just as much a comedian as I am. It encourages Allie to send a tiny jolt through that chicken's body. A tiny shock of suggestion to the chicken's brain. The voice says, make that chicken fly, which goes about as well as you'd expect. <laughs> the voice says, LOL, girl, you know chickens can't fly. <laughs> Except it isn't just a failure, it's a colossal failure. And Adelie accidentally kills a chicken, and she does it with an unseen witness, Sister Veronica. Now we're back with Roxy, and Roxy may as well be Batman or Batgirl or Batwoman or whoever isn't getting canceled or shelled by Warner Brothers in the next 12 months. Roxy and Monk barely survived a hit on her mother. She suspects the hit was meant for herself, too. And yet her dad seems bizarrely resistant to her using this new power to finally force justice on her mother's killers. Her dad, for example, shows her a dead body, says this is the man who killed Roxy's mom. Roxy says, but there was two of them. And when she refuses to drop it, her dad tells her to get out, forget this, stop causing trouble. This is messy enough as it is. Then we're with her brother, Daryl, and Daryl cares about his half-sister, Roxy, at least in the show. But even he got to admit this is getting bigger than he can control. For Bernie and his vision for the Monk family, it's a shame it wasn't Daryl who ended up with the skein. Bernie asks Daryl to take Roxy out for the night, you know, cheer her up. And Bernie's trying to figure out how to control the daughter who never felt like she belonged to him. She's always just been this loud voice in the background, but now that her skein is awake, it's only a matter of time before she stops listening to his commands. She was never a real monk. Not like him, not like her brothers. For Bernie Monk, power of any kind is only meant for men. Now we're with Tunde, and Tunde records his initial reports on the state of things. He's not going to have to look long before he finds violence waiting to explode. Just by looking out the window, in fact. Remember that girl he saw in between the trash cans when he first came into the city? That girl's name's Amal. And maybe it's because Amal can't restrain herself. Maybe she just don't want to. But electricity zaps between her fingers with delight and abandon. But then Mahmoud sees her. And as you know, all use of the power is banned in Saudi Arabia. And that dude, Mahmoud, beats the hell out of her. Now, why didn't she resist? Why didn't she fight? Why didn't she use the tool that's now literally a part of her body? The girls who watch from the window say the answer for us. Have you ever been abused for extended periods? Like I was raised in a cult and then I was abused by my twin brother until my mid-30s, which was only a few years ago. Um, so, you know, I kind of have an idea. Well, if you've been sent through something like that, then you know it's never as easy as simply choosing to fight back. <sighs> We're all strong in different ways. We're all strong at different times. So then we're with a character named Fatima. They rush home to tell Amal's grandfather, grandmother, uncle, the rest of her family, the boy caught Amal using the power. And he beat the hell out of her. And now the police are coming. So Tunde gets out of his taxi as people rush past him. And he follows and sees how many of the girls are now crowding around Amal. But the police don't want the girls to take Amal. You may have seen this sort of thing before. If given the chance, this 
men will just let this girl die, quietly let her die, instead of trying to help her. The girls shout, justice for them all, justice for them all. And the police tell the girls to stop filming, stop shouting, stop. I have the same principles in the cult in Mississippi. Don't think, don't speak, don't feel. These girls are tired of the same shit. One of them lays hands on the back of a policeman, and down he goes. Suddenly the women understand these are powerless people intent on abusing powerful women, but it is they who have the power. Suddenly the women take back what always belonged to them. Suddenly the women take back them all, and with that act, they take back their city. With that act, they spark a global revolution. Now we're back with Sister Veronica, and after watching Allie kill a chicken, Sister Veronica is shooketh. Does it matter whether it was an accident? Sister Veronica says, this power is the devil's work, Maria. And because she's talking to Sister Maria, and Sister Maria says, I feel something different about her, something special. She reminds me of you. She could lead. Allie, now I'm telling you, the series is either a sequel to Sister Act or owes a significant debt to it because this scene is just like what Mary Clarence does in every movie. Allie's at the door, listen to Veronica and Maria discuss her fate as though she's a thing to be picked up and discarded or cherished. And she came here thinking everything had changed, but it feels like nothing has changed. Allie says, the good ones never let you stay, but the voice reminds her that things are different. She has resources now to balance the scales just depends on how she chooses to do it. The voice says, you can stay if you want to. You just have to own the place. Back with Roxy. Now, as usual, the doorman at her dad's club won't let her in, but things have changed, haven't they? Uh-oh. Roxy reminds him now she isn't just Bernie Mock's daughter. She got power. Roxy says, smile for me. Oh, you look nice when you smile. Now, this is a little on the nose. But this is the exact kind of nonsense that happens in the real world every day. So maybe it only feels so on the nose because it's well hard for it not to be. Roxy gets extremely hammered. Her brother almost stops her. But why stop her when you can join in? You know, so there's like, you know, a little bit of sharing a Coke and we'll, we'll get into that. Sunday films a protest after more and more women come out to reclaim their city. Any man who fights back faces their EOD until a bomb explodes. Until someone breaks out a gun and shoots several girls. And y'all, this is a great part of the book. I mean, it's not great as in an endorsement that it should ever happen. But as far as an action scene, it's pretty good. So this is all deadly. They need to be prepared to fight back. But as explored in a classic episode of The West Wing, what merit is there in a proportional response? Keep that question in your mind. Remember that there are other countries and global powers considering how to use skeins for their benefits. On the way out, we connect properly with the character. Character Nora. Nora shocks a man nearly to death before departing from the chaos. And all I could think was, no, get it, girl. So Tindy exit was exits with a large group of girls, and they witnessed as much as him. They saw that he is on their side, not that of men. Nora talks to him as he leaves, helps him keep the gas and the powder from his clothes getting in his eyes and face. She will help him out. The review geek offered this description of Tunji's exit in their recap. They said when it's time for him to leave the country, he returns to get his stuff. Fine has been roaming through. Nora thinks the government wants his footage and is like he put him on a no-fly list. We'll have to find another way out, but it won't be easy with the fights going on in the streets. So there's a fantastic overhead shot of the protest winding its way through the city. There's not enough bullets to stop every woman in existence because that's what it's going to take if they want to stop this. So outside the club, Roxy. Shaken by flashbacks and PTSD, she's traumatized. Can't stop thinking about the moments in which her mom died. Her other brother, Terry, finds her outside, and he really wants to help her. But this girl's kind of beyond his power to save. Roxy says, I miss my mom. And Terry says, what? And Roxy says, I miss my mom. I want my mom. 
Cherry helps her the best way he knows how by giving her some cocaine. And if I've learned anything from the stories of cocaine users, the only thing you want more than a little more cocaine is for someone to please God stop you from doing more cocaine. Watch out for how the coke amplifies Roxy's abilities. This is where she gets the idea to make glitter, a specialized drug that enhances a person's power. Roxy goes back into the club reinvigorated. And Terry's scared, so he snorts some coke to catch up with her. He's committed to taking care of his sister at any cost. Now we're back with Allie at the Sisters of Christ Convent, and Allie comes upon a group of girls standing around a dead bird. The voice says, this is your chance. Show them what you can do, Allie. Bodies run on electricity. It just needs a jump start. So Allie kneels down to perform her first miracle. It's a great visual sequence of her sensing everything about the body and how to send a jump through the heart and resurrect that bird as smoothly as Lazarus. There is, as usual, a witness. One of the nuns is watching, but this time it's the trans nun, Sister Maria. The voice says, make them want you. Make them want to follow you. I felt the spirit moving me, just like the old days in the cult in Mississippi, except this time the power feels good. Uh, cue the majestic music. But Sister Maria appears very concerned, very, capital very concerned. She sees now what Veronica is saying. This is not just leadership. This is consequence. Every revolution brings collateral damage. Will this revolution be worth it? Or will it simply bring them more of the same? If you read the book, you already know the answer, but I suspect the show's going to interrogate the story far beyond the novel's final pages. Case in point is what happens next with Tunde. So Tunde records as the women gather for resurrection. And for me, it is a kind of baptism. As Allie awakened that bird, she sent a new power out into the world. Now women across the world awaken each other. They send shocks into each other to give power to all women, to pass freedom to each one. Tunde has a great voiceover speech worth listening to on its own. A sleeping giant has been awakened, he says. Today will forever be known as the Day of the Girls. I like what they did with this because it was a little underwhelming in comparison in the book. This is big. It feels big. The girls at the Sisters of Christ comment, they're about to prove Tunde right. Allie's new friend, Savannah, this is a welcome source of genuine connection. And just like Brene Brown teaches in The Power of Vulnerability, y'all, these puns will be here as long as the show is on the air. One deepest insight comes from our bravest moments of vulnerability. Savannah confesses that she wants to get rid of her power. She found it when a boy raped her. That violation, it was like flipping her on switch, and she got herself in trouble for defending herself. Here's where Naomi Alderman takes what Margaret Atwood started in The Handmaid's Tale and takes it to the next level. What if Alfred had manifested the power at the moment Fred was going to prove how hard he sucks? So Allie says, you treat us like garbage all this time, and now here we are. Savannah says, you think it's God? Allie says, maybe. Maybe she just left us alone all these years. A few weeks ago, she just thought, fuck it. Y'all had your chance. I'm going to have to step in with a little something to even the scales. And the speech does faster work than a lightning bolt. It inspires Savannah. She's been worried all this time that admitting she has the power would mean they will never let her see her daughter again. Allie shows her otherwise. Savannah says it's going to be a different world for my daughter. Allie says it already is. Just got to take it. Now, Roxy's having an endless ah, cooking little exploration of what really happened to her mom. And uh, she zaps her brother, Terry. Then she zaps some jellyfish. She's just abundant with power. So Tunde then records more protests. Women fought back against the incoming military. Uh-oh. They showed up with uniforms and tanks and guns. And the women shock the military tank until it fucking explodes, y'all. 
a soldier named Rashid then fires a machine gun in. The women are scared, but one of the women recognizes him and begs him to put down the gun. Heaven lies at the feet of your mother, she says. Will the men hear their cry? Yes, these men hear the words that are not said in this episode. It may as well have been, that hurts. Please stop. And then these men lower their weapon. And the men laying down arms is not credible or believable at all. <laughs> Until I remember that there is now a subtly and guiding force manipulating the minds and hearts of everyone on the planet. Is the power. Is the voice that Ali hears an actual deity? Is it God? Is she connected to a unified skein, a kind of consciousness? Everyone with the power now shares. Is it schizophrenia? Could it possibly be another person who has mastered an ability not even Ali has imagined? What or who is the voice? At the Sisters of Christ convent, we're about to experience two sort of new characters, Luann and Gordy. They're in the book, but they've been expanded in, um, I'll call it new ways, you'll see. So back at the convent, we get a classic scene from the novel expanded into a central part of the episode. If you watched Nick Offerman in episode three of The Last of Us and wanted more queer joy in epic television, welcome to the queer joy romance of Luann and Gordy. Luann suffers from seizures so badly that she hesitates to... Um, Touch herself, you know, like that. She's afraid she'd accidentally shock her bits into dust. Gory offers to help her get off better elites. So this is a really sweet scene, a lesbian romance, and I'm here for it, even if, or especially if it takes place in the middle of a church. The show is kind enough to let them, um, you know, finish. Before bringing Sister Maria around to ask everyone to go back to their dormitories, Sister Maria says, a storm is coming. And then she sees Gordy and Luann fresh from the little death. Sister Maria says, look at you, glowing at this hour, y'all. Do you think she knows? <laughs> but before the girls can find rest, Luann is overcome with a seizure. And this is the part taken from the book. Only an act of God could save her, an act of God or her humble servant. So um, Allie presses her hands to the window while this is happening. And it's as though she's connecting to the totality of energy running through her in all of existence. It's a real use the force moment. Then Ali understands the source of Luann's trouble, not just that she's having a seizure, but that the brain runs on electricity the same as any other organ. And if it runs on electricity, then Ali can control it. Sister Veronica says, you may not use your power to. Ali says, shut up. The voice says, feel your way. Where is the short circuit? This episode shows Ali killing that chicken earlier because we need to experience genuine fear that despite her good intentions, she might kill this girl. We get a long moment wondering if she's done just that, but then Luann takes that sudden breath audiences know means a person has been brought back to better than ever. Guess that's better than Ezra. Guess what's going on YouTube next? A video of this miracle. Back with Roxy Toxy. Roxy argues with Terry and Daryl, whereas once she would have waited for her dad's approval, now she has power of her own. Maybe enough to finish this with or without him or her brothers. That's a big problem because they love her, but their loyalty is with Pop Smoke. While Daryl goes outside for a fag, Roxy confronts Terry. Roxy says, do you know who this Tony bloke is? That's who her dad says is responsible. The bloke that lives on Pelham Road. And Terry says just a little too much confirms it. Yes, the person she wants to kill is named Tony. And he lives on Pelham Road. And there she goes, ready to take care of business. Daryl tries to stop her, but she refuses to be contained. No one stops Roxy Monk, especially when she's high on cocaine. 
So Roxy, Daryl, and Terry ride together to snort more cocaine and prepare to kill this Tony fucker. Back with Tunde, it is uh, getting bad. Women are hurting men, and they're not just hurting them. They're violating their consent. They are raping them, and they're saying they deserve it. They're saying these men asked for it. This is the darkness waiting for the world. Patriarchy is evil, even when it's women perpetuating that system. Tunde walks with Nora, but sees women violating that soldier on the ground. He tries to intervene and nearly gets injured or killed himself. It's one thing when he's just an invisible bystander taking photos and video. It's another when he tries to save one of them. This scene was intensely violent in the book, and it is perhaps blessedly brief in the show. Nora saves him, tells him not to be stupid. His job is to watch, not get involved. The camera barely shows us that though Tunde escapes, the soldier left behind is probably as good as dead and tortured to no end before it happened. Tunde makes a desperate phone call home, where on the phone, Tunde's boss tells him, I'm not going to be responsible for your death. Get the hell out of there. Noor agrees and basically orders Tunde to get his stuff. She'll get him out of here. She says, this isn't safe for you anymore. The show has deliberately spent almost all this episode away from more American-centric characters like Margo and Joe says to shock audiences when you understand that everything you see taking place in the rest of the world is also taking place in America. Women have awakened to their power. Nora takes Tunde to her friend's very nice apartment so he can stay there for the night before she takes him to the airport tomorrow. Tunde uploads his stuff. While he waits, he calls an old friend in duty. That's the girl who invited him to a gathering of girls in the first episode, but she's not there and it goes to voicemail and he hangs up without leaving a word. This needs to be a conversation, not a one-sided message. He offers to bring Nora with him when he leaves the country. He will be her savior. But Nora doesn't need a savior, doesn't want a savior. Indeed, it is just like a man for Tundi to assume it is his place to be a savior. That's okay. We're all imperfect allies in a process of growth. Nora says, how do you feel when the rest of the world tells you what it's like to be you, even when they know nothing about what it's like to be you? The review geek describes the final moments of this scene, saying he tells Nora he'll help her if she needs to get out of here, but she's irritated. He thinks he knows this place after 24 hours. She's fighting for freedom, but she doesn't want to leave. She loves her country. Tunde was thinking he could be her savior when, in reality, she's been his. Back with Roxy, Roxy and her brothers arrive to deliver the big death to the man they believe killed their mother, Tony, who is played by Daniel Coonan. Roxy knocks on the door. Tony opens it and shows that he's in a nice house with a nice family. It's basically what happened in Love Actually, you know, when Kira Gnarly opened the door, except this dude's Tony. Tony says, what the fuck do you want? Roxy says, oh, I just come to say hi. Tony says, I know you from somewhere, don't I? Roxy says, I'm Bernie Monk's kid. He killed my mom. Tony says, who's your mom again? Remind me. You know, he's like Bison when he's saying, you know, for you, this was the most important day of your life. For me, it was Tuesday. And now maybe cocaine isn't so good for a skein after all, because when Roxy tries to remind Tony who she is and what he did, nothing happens. No zap, no pop, nothing. So he hits her. And I mean hard. But then her power reserves are back, and maybe not all the way, but enough to take care of business. She quickly overpowers Tony and anyone who tries to defend him. Afraid for his life, Tony offers the truth. And y'all, this is pretty big. Unless you read the book, this is, maybe you suspected it, but um, Tony says, I know who it was, I'll tell you. Roxy says, I was there. 
I know. Her brothers try to stop her, but she shocks them off of her and goes back to kill Tony. And she blasts him into oblivion before he could tell her anything. Such an incredible display of power not seen since the end of episode one. As her brothers take charge of the chaos, anyone who would now challenge them, Roxy looks up, sees a reflection of herself. Up top in the window is a girl watching some crazy stranger kill her father. That girl will have power too. Will she come for Roxy? It's just like that moment in Kill Bill when the bride tells Bernita Green's daughter it's okay to come after her someday. The bride said, it was not my intention to do this in front of you. For that, I'm sorry. But you can take my word for it. Your mother had it coming. When you grow up, if you still feel raw about it, I'll be waiting. There are some who believe that little girl deserves a sequel to Kill Bill played by Zendaya. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Anyway, as for this show, why wait for revenge? On the way out, there's tons of gunshots and Terry Monk is hit. Uh-oh, that's Roxy's brother. Uh-oh. Not even Allie could resurrect a person from this kind of damage. They make it home and drop his dying or already dead body on the ground in front of their dad. Daryl tells their dad who did this, who made them do this, who forced this. Roxy. It was Roxy. Whatever chance she had of earning her father's trust, she's gone. What happens next? We'll destroy any chance he had of her trust too. With Allie, everyone is confronting the people who once pulled their strings at the Sisters of Convents. Veronica takes Allie to task for these recent miracles. Sister Veronica says, you can't use electricity under my roof. It's time for you to go. And Allie says, you don't get to tell us what to do anymore. All of the girls are now with Allie and it doesn't matter anymore. What one person says, no woman, no man, no one person will ever again tell another woman what they must conform to if they want to count. Now, here's the end of the episode where Tunde recreates the ending for the Shawshank Redemption of all the things. <laughs> Heartbroken and awash with tears, Tunde rides in the back of a car across the desert. He watches his earlier footage of a girl getting shot, keeps going back and forth, watching her brief moments of awakening, her first taste of power, all brought short with a single bullet. As the episode comes to a close, Tunde delivers an emotional voiceover recap of the episode. He says, in short, Tunde says, in short, in Saudi Arabia, for women all over the world, it is the dawn of a new day. New freedoms, new privileges, new abilities, a byproduct of new power. But this liberation is not without its costs. It is the law of nature that for every action, there is a reaction. But we must all be better than our nature. For those of us committed to the equality of all humanity, it must be our mission that the price of this new dawning day is not too steep. And I believe we can. I believe in our inherent goodness. I have hope in the bright rebirth beyond this reckoning. Cue the credits for the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs>